John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31. And I'm just going to read a couple verses there. John chapter 8, and we'll start verse 31. It's really simple. So it says this. So Jesus said to all of the Jews that have believed in him, he said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Think about that. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the truth sets me free, then lies keep me bound. And we talked last week about how important it is to obey the word of God. Peter said, at your word. I'm not living my life based on my experience or my feelings, my background or my education. I want to move up to a level called revelation. I want to live at the level of God's word and intention for my life. And I want to talk to you today uh, about this a little bit more because I think that we might be missing something because sometimes I don't think we understand what it takes for a seed to thrive. I think we see that the word of God is like a seed and we don't understand that there are some responsibilities that God gives us when it comes to our life. Jesus, as a matter of fact, in the first parable that he ever teaches, he tells the disciples and the people listening to him, he said the word of God is like a seed that goes into ground and he lists four different types of ground and the ground was the issue, never the seed. The seed was never the problem. God's word was never the problem. The condition of the heart receiving the seed was always the problem. And so if if the seed isn't the issue, then what we need to pay attention to is what are we doing to cultivate our life so that we are ready, that we are equipped, that we are able to be receptive of what God wants to say into our lives. And one of the reasons we miss so much of what God wants to say in our lives is because of offense. The Bible talks about, Jesus even mentioned there, he talked about the cares of this life. We just got too many other things going on. Well, I got news for you this morning. You have too much craziness going on around you to not till the ground of your heart to be ready for the word of God. Come on, somebody. There is too much, there is too much going on for you to not have the word of God deep down into your soul. That when the pressure of life comes, the thing that comes out of you is not your attitude, but the word of God. The thing that comes out of you is not an emotional response, but the word of God. Anybody want to start responding, not emotionally, but with the word of God. Not with their, what their mind says, but with what the heart is saying because it's being transformed by the word of God. Now, Jesus teaches in John 15. You're like, well, I, I didn't know we were supposed to be fruitful. Well, you didn't read the New Testament then. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He cuts back so that it will be even more fruitful. He says to them, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I love this because the idea here is not God is not asking us to produce fruit. God is asking us to abide in him, to remain in him. And by default, if we abide in him, we will produce fruit. 
Come on, somebody. God is not up there. He's not demanding fruit from our lives in the sense that he's like, show me what you've got. He's not asking that. What his ask is of us is that we would abide in him. And he says, if you will just simply be with me, the byproduct of being with Jesus is that you will bear fruit in your life. The byproduct of being with Jesus is that you shouldn't lose your cool at your kid's ball game on Saturday afternoon. I'm preaching right now. I don't know if I was preaching before, but I'm preaching right now to myself and my wife. I'm just saying, it's, I'm just saying, sometimes it's her. Okay. <laughs> So I want to abide. So if the focus is abiding and not producing, then I need to learn what do I need to abide. I want to I talk about a seed for a second because a seed, the Bible says, again, this, the word of God is like a seed. Seeds are, are pretty much self-contained systems. And most of what they need to get started, they already have. But there are three important triggers or things that basically kick off the germination process and and again, this is just, this is not revelation. This is just simply Google uh, or my son's, you know, third grade, you know, books. Um, <laughs> but they need air, water, and the right temperature. They need air, water, and the right temperature. When a seed germinates, the, we are taught that when a seed germinates, the root breaks through the seed coat and goes down looking for water. This anchors the plant. And then the shoot goes up looking for light. So, so just like the word of God is a seed, that same seed has the potential inside of itself to produce a massive, a massive harvest, more seed in it. But if we don't take care of it, then it cannot reach its full potential. Like Jesus said, the seed is not the issue the, the ground is the issue. The environment that I put the seed in is the issue. So if a seed requires three things in the natural, then what does a seed require in the spiritual? Last week we talked about one. It needs water. We talked about the word of God. Remember John 8, 31 through 32, we read that. It said, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Remember last week we talked and we said, there were two reasons Jesus cried in the New Testament. He cried when a friend of his died, and he cried because of the ignorance of Israel. And if God wants you to, to have anything in your life, it's illumination, it's light. It's, it's the enlightenment of the Word of God that can change your life. And so the, the Word of God is required to unlock the potential of that seed in your life. And, and since we talked about that last week, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the air and the temperature or the environment of the seed, the air and the temperature. I believe this, and this is just my opinion. I, I just, I believe that the air of the Christian life is prayer. The air of our Christian walk is prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 says this. It says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and all requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's an interesting word there, the word spirit, which is just translated from the word pneuma, which means a, a movement of air or 
or breath. And so when the Bible says pray in the spirit, it's not so much saying pray in tongues. The Bible is saying there pray in the power of the spirit. It can be praying in tongues, but it is not limited to praying in tongues. It is praying in the power of the spirit by the leading of a spirit and in accordance with his will. Okay, And one of the ways that we actually quench the spirit is by not praying when the spirit prompts us to pray. Okay, And so one of the ways you actually shut down the activity of the Spirit is when the Spirit is asking you to do something, you're like, God, this isn't the time or the place for that. (laughs) But I don't care if you are in the middle of a board meeting and God tells you, hey, you need to pray for your child. You need to say, excuse me from the board meeting. I got a word from God. Maybe you don't need to say it that way. Maybe just me. I need to go to the bathroom. And you get out in the hallway and you plead the blood of Jesus over your children. And so many of the things that you're missing in your life are because you quench the spirit. Because you're like, I don't like the environment that the spirit is asking me to pray in. I don't like the moment that the spirit is asking me to do. It's uncomfortable for me. It's, it's uncomfortable for everybody around me. But I think the spirit of God loves those uncomfortable moments. That's the, those are the moments that the spirit of God thrives in. Not when you feel like it, but when you don't feel like it. Not when it's convenient, but when it's inconvenient. And so I think one of the ways that we quench the work of the Spirit in our life when He's asking us to do something is we don't do it the moment He is asking us to do it. I don't care if you are driving your car and God puts on your heart someone in your life. I need you to pray for so-and-so. If you can't drive and pray, pull your car over and pray. Because there could be something happening in the moment that requires your attention. And they might not be aware enough to pray for themselves. And we're going to talk about intercession in a minute and how powerful it is. The Bible says that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. So there, there, there is an air necessary for the seed of God's word to be unlocked in your life. And that is prayer. And he says pray in the spirit. And then he says praying with all, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers. That's interesting, isn't it? That idea of all kinds of prayers. There are different kinds of prayers. Let me, let me give you this, let me give you just this thought, and we'll, we'll move on from this. There, in Matthew chapter 17, the, the, the disciples are in a situation where a man has brought their son to them. And they are pretty much powerless in this situation. The, the father says that this son is, is being, he, he's so sick. He doesn't, the father doesn't completely understand the situation, but he's, he's so sick and the, he says he needs to be cured. He, he thinks it's a, it's, a, it's a physical sickness. Jesus taps into it a little bit later and he, he, he realizes that it's, it's a demonic oppression on, on his life. But the disciples are, are kind of lost and so they're praying and the, the, the demon that is in this young boy is not coming out. And Jesus comes down off the mountain where he's been praying. He's been seeking God. He comes off of this mountain and he comes down to where the disciples are. And the Bible says there that the father is frustrated because he said, I took this boy to your disciples and they couldn't do anything for him. So Jesus gets upset and he calls him a faithless generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? You know, he gets upset and he says, bring the boy to me. So they bring the boy to Jesus. Jesus rebukes the spirit. 
that's controlling this boy's life. It was, it was taking control of him and he was trying to harm himself. This He was doing physical harm to himself. I, I'm just, I just came to tell somebody, sometimes talking to, to a doctor is good, but sometimes what is, what is ailing your child is more than mental. Sometimes it's spiritual. And you need to know when you are dealing with a different kind so you know what kind of prayer. Come on, somebody. So he, that's why he says praying all kinds of prayer. So they bring him to Jesus. Jesus rebukes the spirit. The boy is, is healed. And the disciples come to Jesus and they look at Jesus and they say, Hey, um, why couldn't we do this? Now, I love this because this is... This is why God did so much through the disciples. These guys, they had the ability to recognize what they lacked. Remember, I told you it is never going to be your weaknesses that makes God unable to use you. It's always going to be the pride of your strength. And I love that they were able to humbly come and say, God, why couldn't we do this? And some of you, the reason you are unfruitful and multiplication is not happening in your life is because you simply don't have the humility to ask God, why isn't this working? And you keep beating your head against the wall, trying the same old things you've been trying when doing the same thing year after year and it's not working And you never have the humility to go, why? And they're like, Jesus, why weren't we able to do that? And Jesus says to them, he said, well, if you it's it's unbelief at the root, it's unbelief, he says. Because if you had faith, you'd be able to say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. He said, but this kind, there's that word kind again. All kinds of prayer. Why all kinds of prayers? Because we got all kinds of problems. He says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. This isn't going to come out by uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep prayer. Ha. This isn't going to come, this, isn't, this attack isn't going to stop because you raised your hand in church and said, Amen. This only stops when you have a tenacity in your prayer that says, I'm not going to just pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to seek the face of God over this, and I'm going to get the answer, and when God speaks, I'm going to declare over my situation the power of God, and what wasn't able to be moved before is now going to be moved because I prayed the right kind of prayer. Let me just give you a few different kinds of prayers. I think this will help you. It helps me. First of all, I think one of the most important, and I, these, these aren't all the types of prayers. I don't even have time. They're anywhere between eight and different theologians say 21 different kinds of prayer listed in Scripture. But this one has been important for me. It's prayers of invocation or invitation. This is where I'm not asking God for a present. I'm asking God for his presence.
And I think, I think so often we miss the power of invocation because we are so obsessed in our culture with asking God for stuff and not asking God for him. Okay, now this kind of prayer moves you. This is why this prayer is important, because this kind of prayer moves you from the omnipresence of God to the manifest presence of God. So God is everywhere. You don't even have to ask God to be there, and He is there. He is omnipresent, the Bible teaches us. He is everywhere all of the time. But He is not always showing Himself everywhere He is. He is not always manifesting Himself everywhere He is. Do you hear what I'm saying? He is not always... Uh, uh, saying, making a declaration that, hey, this is me. It, his presence is always there, but his presence isn't always felt. The Bible talks about this type of presence as the glory of God or the Shekinah glory of God. This is where God moves from just being in the room to being felt in the room. To where you leave and you're like, God was there. Have you ever had a moment in your prayer where you... When was the last, I just wonder, when was the last time you were so in the presence of God that you were even nervous to look around because you thought, maybe I'll see an angel, maybe I'll see Jesus himself, maybe something crazy happening over here in the corner, you know, because you were so enveloped in his presence. And that's what invocation is. Invocation is an invitation for God's presence to be with you. Second Corinthians 3 and 17 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I think there would be a whole lot less request for stuff if we actually had his presence. I think some of the stuff you are asking God for, if his presence was there, you wouldn't even have to ask him for it. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You're asking God for fulfillment. You should be asking God for his presence. You're asking God for purpose. You should be asking God for his presence. You're asking God for freedom. What you really should be asking for is his presence. But again... It's like people who only want a Savior and not a Lord. It's like, God, I want your stuff. I don't necessarily want you. In Exodus 33, God is so frustrated with Israel. He says to them, he says, hey, the promise that I made to you, I'm going to be faithful to keep it. And you're going to go into the land of promise, that place that's flowing with milk and honey. He says, but I'm not going with you. And Moses gets so upset over this. He says, God, he's like, I don't want to go up. If you're not going with me involved in all of those promises of God's of what God would do in the promised land was provision, protection, all that they needed. And in spite of all of that, Moses says, God, I don't want to go into all of that if you're not with us. I don't know if y'all get that. I don't know if we understand that in America. Because I think we live in a culture where we would rather have God's things than God himself. We would rather have what God does than what God is. We, we would rather, if God said, hey, I'm going to give you everything you want, but I'm not going to go with you. I think many of us would be like, thank you. I'm happy with that. That's a good, sounds like a good deal to me. But I want to be like Moses who says, God, I don't care about all the provision in the world. I don't care about all the protection in the world. Because if you are not with me, then none of it matters to me. Mm, I don't want that stuff. I want you. Man. 
he said this. He said, Exodus 33 and 15, he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? Hold up, Moses. You were going to be rich. You were going to have land and wealth that you had never experienced before. But you realize that none of that is the thing that distinguishes you from anybody else in the world. Because you can get rich without God. You can get stuff without God. But all of that stuff and all of that wealth becomes a burden if the presence of God doesn't go with you. All of that stuff and all of that wealth and all of those things just create more drama in your life if God doesn't go with you. And I just wonder if anybody in the room has had a lot and had a little and realized that even though maybe I had a little sometimes, if God was with me, that made all the difference. And if I had a lot and I didn't have the Lord with me, I, would, I don't want that anyway. But here's what God said. Hey, you can actually have both. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. If you will, if you will invite me in, I'll show up. Moses invited him in and God says, okay, I'll go with you. And I'll give you rest. Oh, man. He just sometimes God is just asking for an invitation. The presence of God is never manifest where it's tolerated. It is always manifest where it's celebrated. Let me give you another thought uh, on this invocation. It's God asking you, or are you inviting God into the situation? There are so many places in Scripture where things happen because people prayed. Isaiah 37 is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Hezekiah is king, and the Assyrian king sends a letter threatening the people of God. He says, this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to invade your city. I'm going to take all of your children, all of your women. I'm going to take all of your stuff. And it upsets Hezekiah to the point where he takes that letter, and he takes that letter into the presence of God, and he lays it before the presence of God, and then he prays about it. And he, he, he reminds God of his promises. He reminds God that they are his people. And the Bible says that in Isaiah 37, it says that the prophet Isaiah actually hears from God. And he says, God says to Isaiah, he says, I want you to go talk to Hezekiah. And I want you to say this to him. Because you prayed. Hold up. So you're telling me that the enemy's threats would not have just been threats. They would have actually happened if Hezekiah didn't pray. I think there is a problem in our Christianity called assumption. That assuming because I'm God's child that everything that God wants to do in my life, he's going to do in my life without me even having to ask. But James said, you have not because you ask not. And if there is going to be anything left on the table of my life, it's not going to be because I didn't ask. 
If, if God doesn't do it, that's God's prerogative. Listen, my responsibility is to pray and ask. It's God's responsibility to perform his will. If he doesn't want it for me, he doesn't want it for me. But it's not going to be empty and void from my life because I did not ask for it. There's not going to be anything in this life that I didn't get because I didn't ask. God says no, then God says no, but it's not going to be because I didn't ask. That's right. Thanksgiving. Let me give you this thought. Invocation, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, uh, Ephesians 6 tells us, he says, when you pray all types of prayers, you offer supplication, you give these things to God. He says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. But notice that when you offer prayers with thanksgiving. So remember Matthew 17, there was a prayer that had fasting connected to it. There's a, there's a prayer that has invitation connected to it. And there is prayer that has thanksgiving, Ephesians said, connected to it. And, and, and I need you to hear this because the peace of God doesn't guard your heart until thanksgiving is attached to your prayer. Because thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude and the gratitude is a seed for more. Whatever you appreciate in your life will grow. Whatever you ignore will die. Gratitude is an acknowledgement of what God has already done and a request at the same time for him to do more. I don't, if, if anybody in here has ever raised ungrateful children... Buying them a candy bar makes you mad. But if you have a grateful kid, you will move heaven and earth to get them the things that they ask for. Listen to me. It's the same way with the Lord. Gratitude is an, is an acknowledgement of what God has already done, and it's immediately a request for him to do more. It's like the, one of the first concerts I ever went to where I saw an encore was I went to a Coldplay concert a few years ago, and I know some of y'all like Coldplay and Christian. I know. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I went and I'll go back. Um, so anyhow, but they had finished the concert. They got to the last song, but they had not sang yellow. Now, yellow's my song. Like that's how I was introduced to this band right out of high school. And, and I, it, it's, it's my favorite. And they didn't sing it. And so I'm with Monica and, and I'm like, hun, they didn't sing yellow. But, but everybody's cheering, and they just keep cheering. And just, and I'm mad. That was great, but they didn't sing my song. And they, people just keep cheering. I'm like, why are they still cheering? And all of a sudden, the lights come back on. And Coldplay's back out on the stage. And they start breaking into yellow. And tears come streaming down my face. Because I lost something I didn't think I could replace. Anyway, that's a, that's a song. And what I realized was they were waiting for the appropriate level of gratitude for what they had done to bring them out for what they were going to do. 
And I just wonder if sometimes your gratitude level hasn't reached a place where God's like, they don't really want me to, they don't, they don't, they, I don't think they want me to do that again. They, I don't think they want me to do that for them. They didn't act like that was a big deal. (laughs) They didn't act like that really matters. As a matter of fact, they're not appreciating the thing that I put in their life. Now, why would I do another thing for them when they haven't appreciated what I've already given them? Sometimes I'm, I think God is waiting for Thanksgiving. Enter his gates with Thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. I mean, the way we, the way we initiate making sure that God sees what we're asking for is to say thank you for what you've already done. And sometimes it's not there is an issue with the request you are making now. Sometimes the issue is the gratitude you have for what he has already given you. Man, that's good. Let me give you this third thought. Intercession. Intercession literally just means to stand in the gap. John 5 and 16, I told you earlier, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The message translation says this. It says the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Said Elijah, for instance, human just like us prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. I love that the Bible says Elijah, for instance, a human just like us. Because the Bible wants to remind you constantly that there is nothing special and unique about Elijah that isn't special and unique about you. The same ability and power Elijah had, you have that same ability and power. The same thing that they were able to call on God and see God do is the same thing that you are able to call on God and see God do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says he is no respecter of person. He doesn't answer Elijah's prayers better than your prayers. And I'm just wondering right now, who are you standing in the gap for? This is how I see it. I see it as you have the enemy who wants to get at, say, here's you, here's the enemy, and the enemy wants to get at someone, and you know this person. What intercession is, is you stand in the middle between them and the enemy. And with your prayer, you hold off what the devil would do. It's in the same way that Jesus said, Satan has desired to Peter. He said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And I, 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 what I need right now is I need the people in the room who are not here because of your goodness and your greatness or your faithfulness. But I need the people in the room who are here because somebody prayed for you. To maybe give God a praise that somebody stood in the gap for you. I need the products of intercession to go ahead and give God some praise. That if it hadn't been for my grandma or my great grandma or my aunt or my sister or my brother or my mom or my dad or my pastor or my friends praying for me, I would not be here today. But somebody prayed for me. Come on. Give God some praise that somebody, somebody prayed for me. Somebody prayed for me. You're the product of intercession. Somebody prayed for you. 
Somebody asked me recently, they said, they said, hey, could you pray for me? And they're a part of this church. And I said, hey, you don't realize this, but I'm already praying for you. That's part of my job is to stand in the gap for you. And I, I think there, is, there should be this, this just excitement that gets on us when we, when we realize that the, the prayers we pray, the Bible says availeth much. I'm not just throwing words out into an empty sky. I'm throwing words up to a God who hears every whisper. He hears every cry. He hears every single word. you man it's our oxygen it's our oxygen supplication this is where you make your request known it's what I need from you God in my life listen to me prayer doesn't notify God of a need he knows (laughs) it lets God know you need him Prayer does not notify God. He's like, whoa, wait, wait, what? They need what? No, he's not that unaware. He knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask him. Prayer is a declaration that God, my whole existence is depending on you. I need you. I need you. His will is his business abiding is yours how do we abide in his word talked about that last week through prayer we talked about that this week and we're going to talk about environment next week i don't have time to get there and i'm not going to speed through it because there's too much to say so father in jesus name we thank you today and even in the different types of prayers you teach us how to pray this is what I love about the disciples why couldn't we do that even in their question they said when they asked you how to pray the reason they asked you how to pray was not because they didn't know how to pray these were Jewish people they had grown up with the customs of prayer all around them they knew how to pray they just knew that something different happened when Jesus prayed than happened when they prayed It's like when Jesus showed up to teach in the temple and that devil automatically recognized the authority of Jesus. How long had that demon been in that temple before Jesus showed up? And so the disciples are like, Jesus, teach us how to pray because something different happens when you pray than when we pray. So even in showing us different types of prayers, you're teaching us how to pray. This 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 is a pattern for prayer. Invocation, thanksgiving, intercession I just take a moment and just invite you in if I just take a moment and thank you for what you've done and I take a moment to pray for others and then I take a moment to ask for myself man I have really prayed what a pattern for prayer even so we thank you Jesus for teaching us how to pray we ask that we would take this seriously we live in a world that is determined to steal our air to steal our oxygen and prayer is how we breathe in the kingdom let us be people of prayer in Jesus name we pray and everybody in the room said amen if you can
Amen. I love you. God bless you. We'll let you go. We got another service, but if you need prayer, please don't leave. We've got a team up front who would love to meet you and pray for you.